Hey, it's Ian Altman. Before we dive into this week's episode, do me a favor and stop by and visit GiversEdge.com. There are only a few gifts I've received over the years that really stood out, and they were all sourced by the ruling group who you can find at GiversEdge.com. Hey, it's Ian Altman. I've got a repeat guest this week, and that is my friend Bob London of London, Inc. Now, Bob is a guy who... I always credit with the notion of the elevator rant. And one of the things we're going to talk about today, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about stupid marketing, stuff that actually where marketers have ruined the way we communicate. And we're going to give plenty of examples of where people go wrong and instead what they should be doing. You're going to learn a ton. You're going to laugh because what people do will never surprise you. Welcome back to the program. Hello, Ian, and Happy New Year to you. <laughs> Thanks, and Happy New Year to you. Whenever this airs, it's always a Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> happy Happy Friday, Happy New Year. It's great to be back and uh, talking about, you know, my I guess my favorite subject, business and marketing, at, with an asterisk that, that, you know, in order to talk about my favorite subject of marketing, I have to point out, and I think this is why you and I are simpatico, what, what the problems are in marketing. It's sort of like Houdini. Did you know that... As an escape artist, he was very successful, but then the latter part of his career, he went around debunking clairvoyance and other people that were having seances, and he exposed them for frauds. Oh, really? And so I feel like, yeah, I mean, he, that's what killed him, actually. Wow. Yeah, it was horrible. But, but, the, but, but he was on a good mission, seriously, which was to point out uh, the, the frauds. Yeah. And uh, I you know, kind of feel like that's, that's, in a way, we're trying to help by doing that. Yeah, and I don't want to say that these people that we're pointing to are frauds. But they may be, so <laughs> so we'll we'll get to that. And and yeah. it's funny because over the, over the last several weeks, Bob and I have been talking about this, and we each have collected these folders of just miserable examples of people who just like don't get it. And I'll read you one example, and um, and I was gonna not share the name, but I'm going to anyhow. Ooh. So um, name names. So. It's uh, here's an email I received recently. And keep in mind, as someone who writes for Inc. and Forbes, I get that people want to be covered in the publications I write for. And they think somehow by sending me something, I will actually uh, be enticed, which doesn't really happen. But um, but so here's one that says, hello, my name is I'll leave out his name. I'm publishing articles for leadpath.com and I'm also running their social media profiles. Here's my favorite part now. I'm writing because I know you're always looking for new voices and new contributors to your great website, and I wanted to offer you an article. We recently wrote a little bit about inexpensive marketing solutions and awesome cheap online marketing, which I know your readers would love to read about. Cheap marketing has got to be Because my readers are really – I know everyone listening right now is thinking, man, I'd like to get me some cheap marketing. I think they'll like what we have to say, and I know – would be thrilled to have our content appear on your site. In addition, you'll have the backing of our readers and our social reach since we'll promote the article as much as possible. So you get free content, a boost in traffic, and some new readers as a result. At this point, I lost consciousness because I was so excited. Um, what have you got to lose aside from credibility and integrity? <laughs> he left that part out, but that's what I added in. <laughs> Send me an email if you're interested, and we can talk about next steps. Um, so Bob, 
tell me why is that so bad? I'll give you. I certainly have my opinion, but why do you why do you see that as an example of what not to do? Well, what, you're assuming I, I don't think it's a good example of what to do. <laughs> why? What's wrong with it? I, I'd have to have you so read. So, Bob, it. what do you like read about it, it? Read it to me a few more times. Well, look, I think uh, th- there's this thing, this notion of. The, you know the rise of the brain pickers, like people, you know, emailing and saying, "Hey, can I pick your brain?" Uh, because we're connected, we're in the same group on LinkedIn. So there's a presumptuousness about it that they're they think they're being polite, they think they're being genuine, and then uh, and they're asking for an awful lot on your part. And what they're asking for is not something you do. It's it's not something you would do. It's not something you would consider. So the philosophical piece that they they don't know enough about you, they haven't done enough research, or they don't know enough about you to know. I'll, I'll use the word integrity, right? That um, that that this isn't how you play. Now that makes me think that okay, so it's just a message that they're sending thousands of to different. No offense, Ian. Yeah. I, I mean, I, like, maybe I, I that thought was thought just it was for special. you. Well, you and I both get some of the same emails that make us feel special for about two seconds until we see who it's from. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, so, but, but but this is why people do it is because ultimately it's the the Nigerian commerce minister sending an email saying he's in trouble and he needs you to deposit $200,000. People click. Wait, wait, that's, it's not actually what happened. <laughs> right. I, so this, I sent all my banking information. Right. I haven't received anything right. Should I have not sent my routing number <laughs> to like, the guy? Damn. Um, and our son's social security number he wanted. So I said, no problem. So, uh, yeah, but I mean, there, there's another issue here about people. Um, they'll send it to you. And they've they've probably sent it enough times that they know that there'll be a certain click through rate, or they're just really dumb. Yeah, which which apparently in this case it could be the latter. The thing that strikes me is by doing a little bit of research, they would have known. Well, look, this guy doesn't have any guest posts on his site, so and, and this is one of the areas that I think marketers sometimes lose track is. They think of it as a binary operation. I'm sending something to you hoping that you will bite on my message. Instead, what maybe they should be doing is saying, saying my message bites. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, but instead, what they maybe they should say is, look, here's something we're doing. Can you think of one or two people who might have an interest in yes. this? And by doing that, if you're interested, you'll say, yes, me. And if not, you might refer them to someone else. Yeah, but, but the problem with that is I don't like that because then you'll forward it to me just to annoy me. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> like, yes, Bob, anyhow. contact Bob London and you must contact him a minimum of seven times a day for the next week. And But yeah, he rarely picks up his phone. So I would call him often. In fact, here's, here's his, his cell phone number. Here's his home address. <laughs> here's his, exactly. Sit outside his house. That'll work best. So, so give me some examples of things that you've seen, good or bad, and, and why they are. I can top what you said. Uh, I have no doubt. I feel doubt. like we're off. No, I'm kidding. So I'm going to go in a little bit of def- a little def- different direction here with respect to the what I refer to as the mutually assured destruction uh, that is going on in the marketing business right now. What does that mean? So it's kind of it's kind of like the nuclear arms race where everyone's going to destroy each other. Yeah, that everyone's got the weapons now. We all have. Marketo and Infusionsoft, we all have Eloqua, we all have email platforms, and we're all going to keep ramping up the volume and frequency until everything, my punchline is, you know, until everything's kind of pretty much meaningless and noisy and no one's, and guess who, guess who suffers, the, you know, the, the end user. So I'm going to read you a couple headlines that I got from ads on the internet. One says, want to lose weight and get in better shape? 
here's the one thing you need to do now. Okay. Now, uh, if perhaps if you're like me, you're thinking, well, I've seen that so many times. It can't be real. And it also sounds like snake oil, right? Sure. Okay. Now, and that was a legitimate mag, uh, well, it was a legitimate publication. Now the next one says, um, how to create a video that is guaranteed to go viral. Oh, guaranteed to go viral. So I, I put, here's why I put those two ads headlines in the same bucket. Uh, because they're both promising something that plays on people's deepest, uh, you know, desire. And in some ways their fear of not, not getting more publicity or not getting more exposure. Fine. So they identified a pain point and now they're playing on it with something that is impossible to, to deliver. Now, for those in, in the audience who say, well, I, I would like a viral video. What's wrong with this thing that says how to create a video that's guaranteed to go viral? So marketing, true marketing experts will say that will tell you the truth, which is if we tap into the right you know, angst or vein of, of need in the market with a video, if we execute the video in a way that's fun, if we do it in a way that's entertaining, if we really strike that chord, it might go viral, you have like a one in a thousand chance, maybe. I'm just going to put that out there. That is quite a difference from saying it's guaranteed to go viral. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So so uh, those of us, you know, who've seen commercials late at night said this potion is guaranteed to do this or you get your money back. Well, they're making their money on the what's known as the breakage of people who buy it. They're dis- obviously disappointed because the potion is like corn syrup and then they uh and and then they're too lazy to get their money back and which put them in the condition in the first place they're too lazy which means that whatever ailment they had they probably could have just gone and done some some exercise or something exactly so the, the, the people aren't returning the stuff and the breakage is what makes the money for the for the advertiser last point this has transcended the supermarket checkout line with the screaming headlines on the magazines and you know lose your belly fat do this and that uh, you know, abs, six packs. It's transcended that, and it's infected, infected B two B marketing where I live, and it's disgusting. Oh yeah, it, it's it's ridiculous. Now, by the way, the one truth is that Brad and Angelina have in fact broken up or are going through divorce. The rest of those headlines, not so much. Um, it, it's it's just. I, I think that the mistake that some people make is they make it overly sensationalistic. As you know, I, I deliver quite a number of keynote addresses around the world, and I spoke at an event recently where my topic was um, my, my topic for them was how to modernize sales and marketing, reflective of today's business trends. And they added to guarantee doubling your business. Ah. And, and so when I went to speak there, ah, that's the, that's the equivalent <laughs> of clickbait. Exactly. Right? So when I, when I went to, when I went to speak there, I, I said, yeah, so the title says guaranteed. Um, I'm going to give you principles that have helped other companies double. And there's no guarantee that they're going to apply to your business. And there's no guarantee that you're going to execute them as well as other people have. Right. So I just want to, put that caveat on the title that was that was assigned to this talk today. And people literally came up to me and said, you know, because you said that at the beginning, I actually listened attentively to everything else you said. I don't know if I would have if you hadn't said that right when you opened. And it's funny to me because I think what happens is that we forget how we behave as consumers. And when we hear something that sounds too good to be true, we assume that it is. And when somebody actually has the humility to say, look, here's what we do. And we've had some customers who have had amazing results. 
but I can't guarantee you're going to get the same results. It actually builds trust. And our instinct is if we say that not everyone gets 100% results, our instinct says, oh, people aren't going to trust us. And actually, they trust you more when you do that. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. And I I have benefited from that philosophy. Um, Although, so if if I calculate it, I'd say, you know, several hundred thousand dollars in fees, let's say over the last five or six years that I that I did not collect because I challenged the, the, the potential client, the prospect, by saying, so tell me what you don't know about the problems you have. You know, let me, let me get a sense of, of that. And why do you think you're ready to do marketing? Is your product sort of ready for prime time? And people, if first of all, if they're offended by that, then we shouldn't be doing business anyway because I don't need the drama. If they're offended by that, that's okay because that, that helps me and my radar sort of understand that that's not someone I need to be doing business with um, just philosophically. But, but what it does is it, it's, it's saying like, this isn't for everybody. What, if something says it's for everybody and I just, there was a quote about speaking in absolutes that you shouldn't do in life, but I also think it's in marketing too. If someone's speaking in absolutes, they have an agenda or a quota or both. And so um, I've turned down a lot of business that for those reasons, but that's probably why I've been successful yeah. Uh, in the broader sense, because some of those same people that we don't do business together, they come back and they're ready. And one of the, one of the things that I see often is that people are so afraid that they might not attract the they might not attract everybody that they actually attract nobody. So instead of picking a domain, picking a niche, and focusing on that. They try to come up with a generic message that they think will appeal to everybody. And ah. in fact, it sounds just like everybody else. So do you have examples of that where there's things that are just you – know, the message is just – it feels like the same message over and over again? You could just yes. interchange the names? Yes. So um, a year ago, our son uh, was looking at colleges, and we sat – together with the pile of mail that comes from the colleges. And some of these mailings are quite nice. There's high production, but there's money being spent on the production oh, and, and, the, it, yeah. and the postage and everything where there's not apparently money being spent is on anything called differentiation because uh, we went through the pile and we did this little, I said, all right, pick out a few at random. So the first five we picked out said something like the, the place to live out your dreams, the place to explore yourself. These are different ones, different mailings from different schools. The place to, um, you know, we have every major under the sun. Oh, thank goodness. And Tucson, because it's sunny. Yeah. Um, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, okay, now, so we're getting the gist of, you know, we looked a little more, and there weren't any that really stood out from that kind of sameness, that messaging, this mutually assured destruction that they're apparently practicing. And I said, now tell me, my son's name is Brent, and I said, Brent, what's important to you? Forget what they're trying to tell you. What's important? He said, well, location, cost, obviously, because schools are insanely expensive and some would say too much. We can talk about that sometime. And, um, and you know, I think, you know, business school, you know, and career placement rates, things like that. I said, okay, I challenge you to dig in that pile, Brent, find anything that speaks to any of the things you just said. And he said, well, here's one that says location. It's kind of location focused. It's in Maryland. And it says, you know, stay around home. But anything else out of 200 mailings, uh, we found I would I'm going to just say 85 to 90 percent of them were virtually interchangeable. So what they're doing is marketing to the the student and the parent from the school's perspective 
that they're all trying to say how great they are without really any sense of what's important to the target audience, whether it's me as a parent or our son. And, uh, you know, I, that's, that's a big waste. That, so, that's a gigantic waste. So if you were, if you were one of these schools, what would you do instead? So there's, there are two things. So I'm going to make up a number. Let's say they're spending, um, uh, uh, you know, $500,000 on marketing on those types of that type of broad outreach. It's very broad and I get it. It has to be a general message. I would consider taking a third of that budget and testing and doing things that are very personalized by doing research on a kid's LinkedIn profile. If they have one, look at their, look at any information online. Our son, you would see he was the opinion editor of the newspaper, for example. Um, he played sports, uh, football. So, to 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 use that budget to test a much more personalized approach to the students they want. Well, and, In other words, they're blanketing. Uh, we talked about this off off the air. They're blanketing uh, uh, the, all these students. And why don't they start by thinking which students do we really want and focus on them? Well, it's it's interesting because because one of the, one of the things that I think people misuse when it comes to marketing automation is. These marketing automation to cast out a generic message to everybody. And instead, what organizations could do is they could say, okay, I want to use our marketing automation to actually learn more about my audience so I can personalize my message to them because marketing automation, in fact, does give you the ability to create a generic message for everyone. But more importantly, it allows you to, at scale, split up your, your sample and deliver different messages to different people. So, for example, a school could have something that's kind of fun that says, "Hey, which of these best describes you?" And someone says, "So, are you more of a are you more of a nerdy person or more of an more of a a, a sports person or whatever?" And then they pick that. And then once once they get to that, now the filter takes some other questions. It says, "Well, so okay, so if you said you're kind of a nerdy person, are you more of a math and science person? Are you more of an arts and humanities?" And and kind of make it fun and intersperse occasionally things like, "So." If all of a sudden you're up studying late at night, would you prefer a pizza, b a burrito, c anything someone else will get for you? In other words, make it kind of fun. If a school did that and captured that kind of information, now they can target a message so that Brent would have gotten something that said, listen, if you're someone who's really into sports and late night you're looking for that burrito, are we the place for you? <laughs> I mean, by the way, it sounds silly, but the thing is that if you engage that and then three months later you hit them with a message that's right well, based on what they told you're, you. You nailed it. You're, they are, this is the world you and I live in professionally as well. Companies, including these colleges, are not speaking to the audience on the audience's terms and from the audience's perspective. If they interviewed 10 random high school students, they would find that their mailings would be totally ineffective. Um, I'll, I'll just add, there was one that was a, it was, uh, I think it was just a, a, a two dimensional postcard, two sided, and it had a clouds clouds on the front because they're supposed to be dreaming and, you know, thinking, I guess. Yeah. And then it said in the, one of the clouds, it had said Brent something, something, it may have been actually Brent. You could qualify for scholarship, which is good yeah. for me. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, uh, now this one was kind of memorable. I said, oh, you liked it? He said, well, my friends and I, were kind of, we all got it. <laughs> we were joking about it online. I said, oh, so you were joking. You were kind of making fun of it. He said, yeah. I said, why? He said, because it's goofy. 
You know, it's just not, they're trying to evoke something that's not there in me, yeah. you know? Um, and, 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 I, and I, by the way, our kid is very mainstream. It's not like he has these particular needs. They are not, they are spending uh, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars collectively to push the same non-differentiated message to a mass audience when they could be much more effective with a little, I love your idea, gamification, you know, make it, find out how kids behave. But, but, but guess what? That requires someone to think and someone to do some work and to plan. And by the way, it doesn't require any additional money because what it means is instead of spending a half million dollars on a campaign of which 95% of it is ineffective, instead they can spend a half million dollars of which 200,000 of it is going to be collecting the right information. Oh, jeez. How about 50,000? Right? Yeah, whatever Or 100, it's, yeah. It's just my, my point is yeah. they could probably spend less money and get more effective results. I mean our, our daughter is a senior this year, and right now she's getting all of these these um, mailings for colleges like, like Brent got. And she happens to be off the charts academically and in terms of her test scores and all that. And the the postcards and mailings she gets, some of these mailings I look and I'm like, that's a fifteen or twenty dollar piece. I mean, these people spend a fortune on something that when you open it up is so generic. If you stripped off the college name, you would have no idea where this place is or what it is. And it's and it's funny because some of them, because um, she's one of these you know National Merit Scholar finalists. One of them basically said said, listen, um, we look for National Merit Scholars and historically national merit scholars come to our school, pay zero intuition. And we even give them a monthly stipend. It's basically like, Hey, look, we're really desperate for students. So if you'll come here, we'll pay you to do it, which I will tell you, it's not exactly a school that I would ever wanted to go to, but at least piqued my interest. Why? Cause it's $2 million a semester. <laughs> no, it's just, it's like, it was, it was one of these things where you know, if it was enough, it would have been great. It would have been like, Hey, look, you know, if they'll run a banner ad for you, that'd be great. Cause that's, <laughs> that would be the other great offer. So, so, one of, one of the key messages here is this idea of personalization rather than making it generic because the reality is that same doesn't sell. So if what you're selling – if what you're Did you just make that up? Same doesn't sell? Yeah. I like that. That's your next book. Okay. Same doesn't sell. All right. Perfect. Do you have one or two other examples? I have a tendency to get very fired up and then on the negative side of it. I guess um, I, want, I want to just recommend something. Um, there's a book that I'm reading called Impossible to Ignore – how to create content that engages your audience or something like that. And uh, impossible to ignore, creating memorable content to influence decisions, which is even better. That's a better subtitle. Good thing you didn't write the subtitle. Right. (laughs) Exactly. So so tell me about it. So I I, I pulled a quote out of it. It says, to be on people's minds, you must become part of their reflexes, habits, and goals that they consider valuable. Again, marketers, schools, technology, software companies, we can keep pushing what we think is important and it will continue to bounce right off of the, of, of the brains and skins and eyes and ears of people because we didn't take enough time to find out what they consider valuable. So I, I'm recommending this book whole, wholeheartedly. Uh, if nothing else, I mean, that quote to me was a huge winner. And it goes on. It's sort of a neuroscientific perspective on all this, which I, I think uh, we can all appreciate. So I, I want to just say it's, it's like the, the X-Files. The answer is out there. We're just not asking the right questions. Uh, this talk that I gave last week in Baltimore 
people really zeroed in on, whoa, those are the questions you actually ask people's cust- you know, the customer. So then, Bowie, yeah. give, us, give us some examples because I think that, and, and I want to, I want to kind of wrap up with this concept because I want to make sure that people get this. If you feel like your message is just targeting the masses, if you feel like you're not really in the head of your customer, it's probably because you're not asking the right questions. So give us some examples of the kinds of questions that people should be asking that then will allow them to personalize their messaging, will allow them to take the customer's perspective to their marketing that might actually attract their ideal customers. So there are three types of questions. Uh, I'll briefly tell you what the, the types of questions. There's the questions just to understand what the world looks like from the customer's perspective about their world. They're not thinking about your product or service. What are they? What's on their mind? So the questions to elicit that, um, hey, at your next board meeting, what are the three things you have to update them on? What are the three big initiatives that are going on and what are you going to tell them? And by the way, the answer is the answer. The audience is probably wondering, will people really answer that? Yes. 600 times I've gotten that answer to that question. So that's one of them. The next one is, hey, look, you know, you know, there's this sort of concept that people's job descriptions have three things that they probably will get fired if they don't do. And then there's three other things that if they don't do them, no one will really care because they're not that important. Give me an example of something that you might get fired for not doing again. Gee, Bob, you really ask people that? Yeah, I do. And I get really good, useful answers. Next question. Um, tell me what, what is, what, from your perspective, what is our sweet spot? What do we do better than anyone else? And because if I don't understand that, then I don't have a core of my business. I don't know. I, and, and the corollary question for that is not only what's our sweet spot, what would you, would you be, even notice if we went out of business? What would be the impact on your business if we went out of business? Um, then you go down, I'm going to skip down to the end, and I do this because I'm thinking linearly about the way I, I deliver these questions. Last question, what would make you a customer for life? Now, you can answer it figuratively or literally. Now, how do I know that's a good question? First of all, I've gotten unbelievable insights from the answers. But how do I instantly know it's a good question? Because the person I'm talking to stops and they go silent for a minute. The first thing they say is, that's a really good question. And I can tell they're not just BSing. They're saying, that's a really good question. They have to think. So that's pretty good when you get someone to think. Sure. The next thing they say is, no one's ever asked me that before. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. How could that be? Don't we all want customers for life? The right kind of customers, not the annoying ones? Yes, we do. Then why aren't customers being asked that every freaking day of every of every month of every year? Hey, what would make I don't understand what would make you a customer for life. The worst thing I can do is not ask you the question. That question is probably the golden spike in the the railroad that goes between you know uh, the marketer's uh, agenda and the customer's perspective that that's it and and I'll I open source these questions yeah right I mean I, I'll tell anybody what the questions are you have to go ask them how do I, I I make money when someone decides well we need an independent person to come ask them so 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 by the way you you said that there are three types of questions so first is this idea of understanding the worldview yes there's the worldview then there's what, what do you think of our industry? Okay. So the industry view. The industry view. Um, the killer question there might be, um, you know, get, give me an example of the worst experience you've ever had with a vendor in our space. Okay. You know, even cool. if it's us. Okay. And then the third category? Tell me um, what would happen if we went out of business. Um, how do we – and then there's some basic questions. 
one scale one to 10, how are we doing? How do we get to a 10? If we don't yeah. understand how to get from an eight to a 10, you know, then shame on it. Yeah. And by the way, and if you ask them zero to 10, how are we doing? And they say five and you say, well, what would make you a customer for life? They might say mm, scoring higher than a five. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that could be it. But I mean, I think this gives good insight. It's interesting because Bob and I never will have a shortage of bad or stupid marketing that we see because not a single day goes by where I don't get an email that I see, I laugh, and I go, oh, that's going into, and I have a folder in my, in my, in my, uh, in my email called stupid marketing. Hopefully it doesn't say Bob London stupid marketing. No, it, it doesn't say that, but um, because the stuff that you do, it's all about getting the customer's perspective, making it personalized for the, for the audience, and I think that's something that people miss. If, if you're a business owner listening to this, or a salesperson, or a marketer, if you don't know what the customer thinks is relevant and you're assuming you know, you're not, you're not doing the best job you can. You're not doing the best job you can. That's awesome. Bob, remind people how they can find you online. They can find me at www.londoninc. That's londoninc.com and reach me there as that you can learn a little bit more about what we've talked about here today and you can contact me that way. Great. Bob, thanks from so much for joining us. And, um, once again, all the uh, little tidbits will be in the show notes, and I appreciate you for being here. Yeah, it was a lot of fun as always, Ian. All right, take care. Thanks. Bob's got such amazing insight. I love having him on the program. I'm sure he'll be back often. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key things I think you can take away and use in your business right away. First, same doesn't sell. So avoid the hype and hyperbole in marketing and instead make sure you're tailoring the message to your audience. As part of that, you want to make sure that you personalize from your customer's perspective. So consider some of the examples that we talked about of capturing information and then personalizing the message to them. And then finally, you want to make sure that you're not falling into the trap of marketing that ruins marketing. Instead, you want to make sure you understand the three types of questions to ask, meaning first, understanding their worldview, second, your customer's view of the industry, and third, what they see as your sweet spot for their business. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. I really appreciate the time and the contributions you make in terms of subscribing on iTunes and giving us feedback. If there's a guest you think I should have on the show... Drop me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. And in fact, if there's a topic you want me to cover, send me a note about that too. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everyone can embrace, even your customer.